On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Look, it's been a rough week, okay? Now they're saying they saw him. Like he just suddenly appeared in a locked room. Uh, they didn't believe it was him. But then he showed them his hands and asked, why do doubts arise in your mind? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Why did we doubt? We all saw him dead. Anyways, I told them that I will believe it when I see it. Later, we were all praying. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he looked at me like, like I was the only person in the room. He told me to touch his hands where the nail had went through. And on his side where the Spirit pierced him. He came just to tell me, stop doubting and believe. Well, I am very, very thankful to have all of you with us at all of our different life churches. It means more to me then you know, and I cannot express how much I love all of you, as well as all of our network churches joining um, in countries all over the world. And those of you on the other side of computer screens at Church Online, you are a part of our extended family. And I just want to tell you, thank you for taking an hour to stop and to celebrate the greatest news we believe in human history, that the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, and our Savior, Christ the Lord, is risen from the dead. In fact, today as we celebrate the resurrection, we're going to wrap up a four-part message series. Next week, I'm starting a brand new series, and I'm going to call it early in the year. I believe this is the most important series we're going to do all year long. It's called The Outlasters, where we're going to learn to impart our faith to the next generation. I'll teach next week and then two weeks from now, my good friend Dave Ramsey uh, will be here talking about passing on wealth to the next generation. Then week three and four, I will do. Today, though, I want to wrap up the message series called The Counselor. If you haven't been here for previous weeks, what we're doing is we're looking at different questions that Jesus asked his disciples. He asked them, why are you so afraid? He asked, do you believe I can do this? Last week, we looked at the question, do you want to be well. 
Today, we're going to deal with a very important question that I believe hits one of the most important topics in faith communities, and yet, honestly, one of the least talked about subjects. We're going to talk about spiritual doubts when Jesus asks the question, why do doubts rise in your mind? Now, the good news is for some of you, you would say you have no problem with doubts at all. In fact, I know some people in my part of the country who will say things like, the Bible says it, and I believe it, and that settles it, okay? And if that's you, man, more power to you. But many people, for them, it's just not that simple. It's not that clean. I I know a lot of people would say, you know, I really want to believe, but I'm a little more naturally skeptical, or I'm kind of analytical, and I want to believe, but I need some questions answered first, or I need to see some things before I can believe. And I'll tell you honestly, I'm more like that, more naturally skeptical, which may be difficult for you to believe since I'm a pastor, but it's very, very true. In fact, growing up in in church, I think I was like the first kid to have spiritual doubts in the history of my church. That may not be true, but it seemed like it at the time because it seemed like everybody just had this rock-solid faith. And I'll tell you about my experience growing up. We grew up in a very traditional church, and all I remember is every week, man, we would like stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, over and over and over again. It was like aerobics in the middle of church. And then we would always sing hymns. That's a word for kind of a, a, you know, a song in a book. And we would always sing verses 1, 2, and 4. I don't know what's wrong with verse 3, but we never sang verse 3, okay? (laughs) Only 1, 2, and 4. And one week, my pastor was talking, and everybody was nodding and listening, and I had this almost panic attack. I was maybe 8 or 10 years old, and it just like this wave of doubt flashed over my mind, and I thought, what if this isn't true? What if they're just believing something and this is just a crutch or they've been brainwashed or we're all just doing this to make ourselves feel better? What if this whole God thing isn't true? And I wanted to believe, you see. In fact, you know, still for my whole life, when I just look at the world, the glory of creation, the fact that we can reproduce and eat and there's water and, you know, everything sustains, it's like I think there probably was somebody smarter than me that made that. You know, it just kind of seems like it. But suddenly I had this real doubt, is all this Christianity stuff true? And so as a kid, I went home and I just talked to the God I hoped was there and said, God, if you're there, do one little thing for me and then we're cool, man, the rest of my life. One thing, I took a picture above my bed that was hung straight and I just turned it sideways. I said, God, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. And if you're there and you're real, just straighten it. I don't even have to see it. You've got eight hours. Should be easy after all the other things you claim to have done. And so I went to bed fully hoping to wake up and see it straight, and I woke up, and it was crooked. It's like, God, were you not paying attention? If you'd done that, I'd have gone to Africa as a missionary if you'd asked. You know, I wasn't asking to part the water in my kiddie pool. Just straighten the picture. I gave you eight hours, and you didn't even do that. And doubts continued to flood my mind. Here I am, years later as a pastor, and I'll tell you right now, doubts come in all different shapes and sizes. There are people who obviously doubt the existence of God, or or even more than doubt, just believe with all their heart there's no way that God exists, and anyone who believes in that is just foolish. 
There are other people who will, they'll give God the benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah, there's probably some higher power, but I doubt his involvement in, in, in human life. You know, or I doubt that he would hear my prayers. I've prayed about a lot and he didn't do anything, so he's obviously not paying attention or doesn't have the ability or whatever. Some people would doubt that God could actually love them. If there is a God, after all I've done, God couldn't love me or God couldn't forgive me. I know people who would say, you know, I kind of wanted to believe in God, but I met some Christians, right? They were screwy, okay? hypocritical. I mean, how can I believe in God when his followers are so messed up? Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. Now, for those of you who aren't like normal church people, I'll let you in on some inside church people news. Church people can be mean to other church people. I don't know if you knew that or not, okay? This is kind of true. And there's kind of almost this implied belief in the church world, and sometimes it's even more than implied, that, hey, if you have spiritual doubts, you're probably not really in our club. Okay? If you ever have doubts, that means you don't have faith, and if you have doubts, you're probably not really saved. If you have doubts, then, then you're not really following Jesus. If you have doubts, then we don't even know if you belong in this Christian circle. And what I want to do today is I want to take an opposite approach and say that unless you actually push through some honest doubts, you may never experience the depth of faith that you could. In fact, many people would say, well, doubt is the end of real faith. I'm going to argue that for many people, doubt is the beginning of real, sincere, and grounded faith. And to do it, we're going to look at a guy who was branded as a doubter. His name is Doubting what? All of our churches, if you know it, just say it loud. In the Bible, he's, called, he's known as Doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas. There's only 12 verses in the Bible that talk about Thomas. And in 12 lousy verses, he's branded throughout history as a doubter. Okay? What I love about Thomas, though, we're going to see, is his life shows us that who he becomes is evidence that even the biggest doubters can one day have the strongest faith. Let's look at him, and I will give you the context. Jesus had just risen from the dead. He appeared to two guys on the road to Emmaus, and we pick up the story just after that in Luke's gospel, in Luke 24. We'll start in verse 36, okay? Here's what Luke said. Luke said while they, the, the disciples, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And all the Catholics helped me out. And then you say, and also with you. Thank you very much. Just a little humor for my Catholic brothers and sisters. Okay, peace be with you and also with you. Okay. Then the Bible says they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Of course they were. Why? Because don't forget this. Many of them saw him dead, dead, all the way dead, completely dead. Not mostly dead like in The Princess Bride, all the way <laughs> dead, right? Okay. My granddad died. I was there at the funeral. He was all the way dead. We put him in the ground. He's dead. If Papa showed up today at Easter lunch, I would pee in my pants. 
Okay, is that okay to say on Easter? Because that's exactly what I would do. Because he was all the way dead. And Papa came and said, ah, Papa was dead. Now he's back, okay? And that's what's going on in the disciples' mind. Jesus was dead. And then we see him, oh my gosh, it must be a ghost. So Jesus said to them, and here's the big question. He asked them, why are you troubled? And you can almost hear his love and compassion. Like, come on, boys. Why do doubts rise in your mind? Hey, guys, did you forget did you forget about me like opening blind eyes and healing deaf ears and raising the dead and promising you that I would give my life and three days later I would be back? Did you forget that? This was the plan. I told you it was going to happen. Boys, why do doubts rise in your mind? <laughs> then he says, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch and see. Now, what's interesting, and you may not notice this, but guess who wasn't there at that meeting? Take a guess. Thomas. Thomas was not there. How do we know? Because John's gospel tells us. John 20, verse 24 says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, we call him T. Diddy. That's what we call him, all right? Most New Testament scholars believe that Thomas was the first century rapper called, come on, work with me, listen. I've been doing this for three days now. If we can have a little bit of fun, just don't even come because we're going to have some fun. We call him T. Diddy, okay? So now, T. Diddy, one of the 12, was not, what? let's all say this aloud, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Check this out. Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. What do we see? Thomas missed church. You see it? He missed church. Do you know? You miss a lot when you miss church, <laughs> right? What, what did he miss? He missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the proof of Jesus. He missed the peace be still of Jesus, okay? You miss a lot when you miss church. Those of you who haven't been here since Christmas, <laughs> you miss a lot. When you miss church, and we missed you, and Thomas missed church, and he missed the proof of Jesus. And therefore, the other disciples told him, hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Hey, we've seen him. We were there. But you missed church. But he said to them, and I absolutely with all my heart love this honesty. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hand into his side, what does Thomas say? He says, I will not believe. He says, I want to, but unless I get to, then I can't just yet. It may be that clean and simple for you, but for me, it's so important that I want more than just second-hand faith. I want first-hand experience with the risen Christ. You see, that's one of the big problems today, at least in American churches, is so many people just kind of believe because their parents believe. They just kind of believe because other people believe. I mean, we're just like kind of Christians because after all, we're not something else, so we just kind of believe. And then one day something happened, and it shakes what little bit of faith that you had. And one day you ask, do I really believe this, or is it just my parents' faith? Is Jesus really the only way to God? I mean, this is a 
big world, and there are a lot of people that believe a lot. Can I really believe that narrow of a claim? I mean, does God really exist? And if Jesus did exist, did, did he really rise from the dead? Because do not miss the claims of the, the disciples. They claimed that God loved us so much that he did not stay in heaven, but he became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin. Therefore, he did not inherit the sin nature of a human being, but the divine nature of his heavenly father. Therefore, he could live without sin, and on the cross, he could become sin for us, die as the perfect sacrifice in our place, but he claims that he didn't stay dead. He claims, and so do other eyewitnesses, that on the third day, the stone was rolled away, and he was not in there. They claim that he was risen from the dead. And if that is true, you see, then it demands a response. And to me, the only reasonable response for a Savior who died for me is for me to live for him. And Thomas said, this is important to me. I want to know, is this true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. Oh, you can't have faith if you doubt. Listen to me. You can't have real faith sometimes unless you press through sincere doubts. Doubts are not the end of real faith. For so many people, doubt is the beginning of a solidified, rock-solid faith that will carry you on to glorify God in all that you do. Thomas said, I want to believe, but I need just a little bit more. Some of you, you got to want to believe perhaps, but you need just a little bit more. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Thomas. We read on. The story says, a week later, the disciples were in the house again. And this time, Thomas was in church. You see it? John gives him the benefit of the doubt. See, John's really into where Thomas is, okay? He, he says, and Thomas was there with them. Now, don't miss this, okay? There's no real theological meaning to this. There's nothing that's going to change your life. But what I'm going to show you is just cocky. Every now and then, you just have to appreciate the power of Jesus, okay? The story says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace, y'all. Okay, that's what, it, what happens. Now, that's the new Craig version. So, now, the part I want you to see is the doors were locked. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the stone didn't keep him in the tomb and the locked doors didn't keep him out of the room. Why? Because he's Jesus. He, the doors are locked. They don't let him in. I don't know how he came through the walls. I mean, maybe he's looking at it going, well, here we go. I am the son of God. And he comes through, you know, and I don't know if there's a sound effect or whatever, but that's cocky. He walked through the walls. That's impressive to me. Healing blind eyes, yeah, 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 good for you. Walking through a wall, that's really, really cool. He comes to the wall. I'm just telling you, I'm the son of God. I'm coming through with smoke. When I'm on the other side, there's smoke, baby. I'm looking in the room. Peace, y'all. Drop the mic. I just did that. That's how I'm coming through the room. I mean, I, I don't know. That means nothing. That's totally free, but that's, that's what I'm doing. There's smoke. Drop the mic. Yeah. That just happened. Okay? So anyway, that, that doesn't mean anything. You just can't. When you read the Bible, you've got to see the fun in it, and that's fun. He walks through the wall. Okay? Then... 
after he says peace. Then the next verse, 27, then Jesus said to Thomas. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus didn't talk to any of the other disciples. They're all there. But Jesus cares about the one who wants to believe. And he ignores the rest of them. Uh, stay there, Bartholomew. We've been ignoring you for centuries. And nobody knows what Bartholomew did. And he goes straight to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, okay, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then what does he say? You can feel the love in, 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 his, in his heart. Stop, stop doubting and believe. I love this. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. Notice what he didn't do. Thomas, sit in the room. You're in timeout. You, you have no faith. You, know, you, uh, you can't be my disciple anymore. No, he gave him what he needed to believe. Stop doubting and believe. And I believe that somehow on this Easter weekend that the presence of God for some of you is going to give you what you need to believe, just like Jesus did for me, a doubter, who, a skeptic, one who wanted to believe, and I went to college wanting to believe, didn't believe, and so I fell into like massive sinful behavior like a lot of you in college. College, you can get into a lot of trouble. I'll be dead honest with you. It was fun for a little while, right? How many of you know sin can be fun? Raise your hand up. All of our churches, raise them up, raise them up. Put them down. Rest of you with your hands down, listen to me. Either you're lying or you didn't do it right. <laughs> right? Because it can be fun for a little while. Then it'll jack you up. Right? Sin is like a sneeze. It feels good coming out. Then there's snot everywhere. Right? And I was in the snot. I mean, my sins caught up with me. And, and so I was, like, curious about God. Could he love me? Could he forgive me? And then four of my fraternity brothers got busted for grand larceny, and they were talking about removing our fraternity from the campus. And so I was vice president. So, like, we're going to save the fraternity. We're going to do a Bible study. And part of my motivation was honestly for, like, PR, you know, like, let's make ourselves look good. Part of it was because I was very curious about God. So I said, Tuesday night, we're doing a Bible study. They're like, what the bleep are you talking about, gross? You know, we're not doing Bible. Yes, we are. And so Tuesday, I wake up, I'm going to class, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh, I don't have a Bible. <laughs> I'm leading a Bible study, and I don't have a Bible. So I'm not going to tell you I prayed to God for a Bible because I honestly don't think I did. I don't think I was that spiritual. I just kind of like thought in the direction of God, kind of like, I don't have a Bible, Sure would be nice if I had a Bible, don't got no money, don't know how I'm going to get a Bible. I could use a Bible. God is my witness. I walked into my economics class. I walked out of my class, was walking across campus to my speech class when a gentleman from the organization known as the Gideons said to me, young man, would you like a free Bible? <laughs> I'm telling you, I read that Bible. I read in Matthew. I couldn't put it down. I was reading about all this stuff. I read that Jesus died and he rose again. I read in Mark and I, I, he died and rose again again. I read in Luke. He died and rose again again. I'm thinking to myself, 
You would think by the third time he'd see this coming. I had no idea that it's different tellings of the same story. And I, I, I'm reading this, and it's, it's like messing me up in a good way, and it's getting into my heart, and I'm wanting to believe, but I'm feeling so bad about all the people I've hurt and all the things I've done wrong and wondering, could I ever be right with God? And I got over to Ephesians and read chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and I'm telling you something happened. I read about the grace of God. That, that I wouldn't be right with him based on my performance or my works, but only by grace through faith, by believing in him. And it just all came together. Like, there's only, well, see, I went to this university for, for four years, you see, four years. There was only one day I needed a Bible. There was only one day when there was a guy handing out free Bibles that I saw. And I got it, and I read it, that I could be saved by grace through faith, and in just a moment, let me tell you what happened. I stopped doubting, and I believed. And it just happened. And this is what happened to Thomas. Touch me, Jesus said. And in verse 28, this is what Thomas said to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. It became personal. It wasn't Lord, God, it was my Lord and my God. It wasn't second generation faith, it was first generation faith. He, he wasn't just believing in Jesus, he was believing Jesus. There's a difference between believing in and believing. Even the demons believe in and they shudder, but he believed him and it became personal. And that's what happened to me. And that's what I'm just crazy enough to believe will happen to many of you on this Easter weekend, that somehow something bigger than me is going to get into your heart and you're going to stop doubting and believe. For me, I mean, it was the Bible and it was the verse and it was what I started to learn. I mean, to, you want to talk about something that builds my faith? When I think about the eyewitnesses to Jesus and who they were in their stories, you talk about building my faith. I mean, when I think about Peter who said, Jesus, I'm going to be there for you. And Jesus said, you're going to die me three times. And sure enough, before the death of Jesus, three different times. I don't know him, never heard of him. I don't know who you're talking about. He denied and failed Jesus. And then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to him and says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, I'm trying. Yes, I do. And then he said, feed my sheep. And Jesus forgives him. And Peter is so transformed that he preaches of the day of Pentecost, one of the most powerful messages in the history of the world. And 3,000 people are born into the kingdom of God, and Peter becomes the rock that Jesus had predicted, and then when others come to Peter and say, unless you deny your faith, we will take your life, Peter says, I will never again deny my Lord and my Savior, and they said, then we're going to crucify you as your Savior died, but tradition tells us, he says, I am unworthy to die as my Savior died, so they crucified him upside down, the same Jesus that Peter denied was the same Jesus that Peter was willing to die for. I think about James, the brother of Jesus. Ask yourself sometime, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he is the son of God? <laughs> the half-brother of Jesus who is elevated to a leader in the church and years later when the enemies of Christ said, renounce your faith, 
or we will kill you. He says, I will not do it. So they push him off the temple about 100 feet, but he doesn't die. Then they ambush him and say, renounce your faith. And he looks up to heaven just as Jesus did and said, Father, please forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they beat him to death with a club. The half-brother of Jesus, eyewitness, willing to die. That builds my faith. I think about the Apostle Paul who hated Christians. Some of you, you hate some Christians. You don't hate them as much as he did. He killed them. And then he, in a vision, meets the risen Christ and is so transformed that those that he hated, he becomes the leader of. And he preaches ferociously and says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And then when they beat him and left him for dead again and again, finally they got to him and tortured him and say, renounce your faith. And he said, no, I will never do so. And they beheaded the one who hated Christ, who now was willing to die for Christ that builds my faith. And then take Thomas, who is unfairly branded as a doubter. Because you see, Thomas was a person of great faith. You see, doubt is not the end of real faith for many people. It's only the beginning. And once Thomas got what he needed, he traveled farther than any other disciple, going all the way to India to preach the gospel because he so believed they needed a relationship with the Christ that had transformed him. And when they met him early in a cave one morning and said, renounce your faith, the enemies of Christ, he said, I would never renounce my Lord and my God. And they drove a spear through his body. The Jesus that Thomas doubted was the Jesus that Thomas was willing to die for. Thomas then believed in Jesus enough to die for him. I would ask you this, do you believe enough to live for him? Do you believe enough to live for him? Because this builds my faith. Every now and then when I think about these things, my faith just gets louder and louder. Sometimes my faith is talking so loud, I can't even hear what doubt has to say. You see, my faith is not always perfect. I have doubts just like other people. But when I press into God, he reveals himself to me in a way that moves me through my doubts to faith that believes the tomb is empty and he is risen. And with billions of other people on every continent on planet Earth, we gather together today to say we believe he is the Son of God. We believe the tomb is empty. We believe he is risen. Some of you walked in with some doubts, and I'm going to tell you that's a good place to start because it's worthy of asking the real questions. Doubt is not the end of real faith. For many people, it is the beginning. And I believe that at this moment, there are those of you who, because of the presence of God, will stop doubting, and you will believe. Father, I pray that in your presence, you would do a divine work in your church to build our faith to know and serve you. All of our church is praying, nobody looking around. I want to talk to two groups of people. First of all, I want to talk to those of you who are followers of Christ. You are disciples, you, you believe in Jesus, and you're following him. I believe and have still had doubts, different times, different shapes, different sizes. I want my faith 
to grow. I don't care where you are in your faith journey, those of you who want even a stronger, more rock-solid faith in God, I want to take a moment and pray for you. All of our churches, you say, I am a follower of Jesus, and even if I'm brand new or been a follower for 40 years, I want my faith to grow even more. Would you lift up your hands right now? Just all of our different churches, just hands going up all over the place. God, thank you so much for committed followers who want to please you in all that they do. God, I thank you that even without faith, it is impossible to please you, and you give us a measure of faith. And God, we thank you that when you're in church, there's a lot of good that goes on, and that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we've heard your word today, God, I pray that faith would grow. God, I pray that there would be faith that you are all powerful, that we would believe that all things are possible with you. God, that we have faith in your goodness and your involvement in our lives, that you're working in all things to bring about good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, I pray that we would have faith in the supernatural, in miracles, in, in bodies to be healed from diseases, in relationships to be healed from bitterness and resentment. God, I pray that uh, even financial miracles, that those who need a touch from you, God, that you would provide for them supernaturally, that our faith would grow. And God, our faith would not just be in what you do for us, but our faith would be in what you would call us to do for you, that you would use us to glorify your name and to make a difference on this earth. Increase our faith, oh God. As you keep praying at, at all of our different churches, and nobody looking around, this is really important. There are some of you, you've just got some doubts. You, you, you doubted, is, is God real? Is Jesus really the only way of God? You, could, could God really love me? Could he forgive me if he even exists? And something is happening right now. Something is happening that's drawing you to want to believe. And let me just tell you what that is. That is the supernatural power and presence of God's love. God loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less because he loves you. Love is not just what he does, it's who he is. He is love. And I believe with all my heart that he loves you so much that he became like you in the person of his son, Jesus, who was without sin, died and rose again. And because eyewitnesses believed it enough to die for him, even non-Christian historians document their death. And because of the work of Christ in believers all over the world, and because of my firsthand knowledge of his grace and how he could change a person full of bitterness and resentment into a person full of love and tenderness, I believe he can change you. And there are many people here. It's time to stop doubting and believe. Believe he can change you. Believe he can forgive you. Believe he is the Lord. Surrender your life to him. At all of our different churches, there are those of you who say, yes, I'm ready. I need him. I need his grace. You may say, I, I don't know everything. Listen, you don't need to know everything to believe something. You can start with this. I believe he's the son of God who can forgive me and make me new. Today by faith, I trust him and give my life to him. At all of our churches, those of you who say, yes, I need his forgiveness today, I trust him. I'm, I'm, I'm believing and surrendering my life completely to God through Jesus. That's your prayer. Lift your hands high right now. All over the place, lift them up and say, yes. That's my prayer right back here in this section, right back here, both of you over here. God bless you guys over here as well. I just want to look at you and just find you, man. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of you right here, ma'am, right here, right over here, right down here, over here, both of you, right back over here. God bless you guys right here as well, way back here toward the back. Others of you right over here, 
right up here. Sir, God bless you. Others of you, way back over here, all the way here toward the back. Others call on his name and say, yes, I surrender. I trust him right over here in this section. Would you all pray with those around you? Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me, and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, follow you, live for you. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, would you worship big, worship big, thank our God. Welcome those born into the family of God. The tomb is empty, Christ is risen, and that changes everything.